Great. Well, if you've got your Bibles, uh, why don't you turn with me? We're going to be in uh, James chapter 2. James chapter 2, and I'm going to be reading from uh, verses 14 onwards. So James chapter 2, 14 till the end of the chapter. And it should appear on the screen. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it doesn't have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works. And faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works. When she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. It's great to be uh, here again. Last week, uh, Jen and I, we were at Jubilee Church down in the city centre, the church that sent us into uh, planting North Hull, uh, Freedom Church in North Hull, and uh, uh, great to be partnered with them, that ongoing partnership, as we, as we, even as we have with these guys in Burundi, we, we have uh, also in this city. And it's wonderful to, to have that and to be part of that here. Um, and so uh, as we uh, as, as I was there, you guys were finishing the, the faith series that we were, we, we were in. Uh, Brian and Sarah led us in, and that's been fantastic. Uh, for me, uh, personally, I, I don't know about you, I, I imagine it's true across the room, but I've, as we've gone through that series, I've felt uh, faith rise in me as, we, uh, as, we've, as we've been challenged and we've been held up these examples of faith. And actually, this passage... Um, that, that we're in today uh, is, is one that we touched on uh, a couple of times uh, with, in, with a couple of characters uh, in, in, that, in that series. So um, Sarah, as she looked at the, uh, Rahab, we, took us to this passage. And I, and I took us to the example of Abraham, brought us here as well, uh, Abraham being pointed to as, as an example of faith. But I, I have to say, I, I love the book of James. I think... Uh, James here is just, he's just such a practical thinker. He doesn't uh, let us off the hook when it comes to practical things. He does, he's does not super spiritual. No, he, he, he is very, very challenging. And he's challenging in, in, in a lot of ways. He's challenging and very, very like Jesus. I think if you read uh, the book of James, you'll notice that he is, he is very, very much carrying Jesus' teaching. Uh, there are a number of times when, you, if you read the book of James, you'll, you'll and you, if you've heard or read what Jesus uh, teaches in, over the course of his ministry, 
you'll find yourself being taken back to Jesus again and again and again as you read through James. And that's not surprising. That's the commission that the apostles were given. Go teach the world, make disciples of all the world, teach them to obey what I've taught you. And so James is doing just that. As he's, as he's teaching us in this letter, he is teaching us to apply and to unpack into our own lives the teachings of Jesus. And he's saying here that that is all done in faith. It's impossible to do that. Apart from faith, you can't, just, you can't obey uh, Jesus' commands without believing him. It's, it's impossible. You can't drum up obedience from anywhere but faith. But James, as I say, is challenging. Challenging for two reasons. Challenging because he expects our faith to be outworked in our life. Right? So I said just now, um, it's better to give than to receive. Quoting Jesus there. James is the person who follows that up by saying, go on then, let's see your bank statement. Go on then, let's, let's see. Let's see that, that at work. He, he is, he does not, in, uh, he, he, he says later in the letter, next chapter, he'll go on to say, is anyone wise among you? Let's see it. Let's see his wisdom outworked in, in good works. There is, there is something in James that he just expects us to, to imitate the holiness of Jesus. He expects us to act out what we believe. But he's also challenging. He is also challenging, as well as being willing to push it, punch us, push us, push us in, in difficult ways and challenging ways, he's also challenging because he really gets at the heart of faith that saves us, right? What is the faith that saves us? And so we, I, what I want us to do this morning is I want to just hold up these two things. What, how does the faith that saves us and the faith that does good works and obeys Jesus, how do they fit together? Because here, James makes it sound quite challenging because if your faith doesn't do good works, says James, it doesn't sound like that faith is really faith. It doesn't sound like that faith will save you. It doesn't sound like that faith is any good. He really wants to get at this whole thing of faith that saves. He says, what good is it? What good is it if your faith produces no works? What good is it? You know, the clear answer there is no good at all. It is of no value. Your faith, if it does nothing, if it doesn't act, it's not faith. It says faith without works is dead. It is, it is dead. It's like a body without a spirit. Dead. It can't be said to be anything. It can't be said to be useful or working. No, faith that is real faith works, says James. And actually this, this is challenging for us to hear. But it fits very nicely with what Jesus teaches us in the Gospels, doesn't it? You know, Jesus, Jesus very much, you know, I've been in Matthew quite a bit. We're going to be doing a series in Matthew in the next uh, few weeks. We're going to be going into that. But, but Jesus, as you read through him, his teaching, you see what he has to say. It's very clear that he really cares about what I do in my life. Right? All of his teaching comes with a, with a very practical, this, you must do this. Right? Just some examples. You know, they all come with promises and warnings, by the way. Jesus' teachings, they come, you say, this is how you to live your life. They all come with promises and warnings. Some examples of that. You know, the, what, the question comes to Jesus, he's there, teacher, teaching, gathered around him, everybody. Somebody asks the question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? 
Jesus' answer is this. Oh, you must... Uh, you must... Uh, you know, he says, you know the law. What does the law say? The guy says, well, I've got to love God and love my neighbour. Jesus says, yes, that's what you've got to do. You've got to love God and you've got to love your neighbour. If you're going to inherit eternal life, you've got to do those two things. And then he tells the parable of the Good Samaritan, which many of us will know. And he says, this is what you've got to do. This is the kind of love that you've got to love with if you're going to inherit eternal life. Right? Sounds like I've got to do something. Sounds like I've got to do something if I'm going to inherit eternal life. Parable of the unforgiving servant. You know, Jesus tells this story, doesn't he? He tells, he tells a story of a, of a, a man who owes uh, a huge amount of money to the king. And, and, and the king gets him and says, if you can't pay this back, you're going, you're going to be thrown in prison. The guy says, I, I can't do it. Have mercy. The king has mercy. He says, your, your debts are forgiven. Go. But this same man who's forgiven his debt goes and he finds another servant who owes him a tiny bit of money. And he says, right, until you can pay me that money, you're going to, you're going to prison. And he throws the guy in prison. And the king hears of this and says, because you did this, you will, you will, you yourself will be in prison until you've paid back every last penny. And then Jesus ends that parable by saying, unless you forgive, you won't be forgiven. Right? That's, that's another condition. It sounds scary, right? If I don't forgive, I've got to forgive in order to, to, to escape that punishment. Sheep and the goats, parable of the sheep and the goats. Those of you who fed the poor, those of you who visited the prisoners, those of you who cared for the orphans and the widows, you can enter into the joy of your master. Those of you who didn't, that's like eternal damnation. Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Because it is better to enter heaven without your hand than to be thrown into hell with it. So Jesus is very, very clearly saying that to inherit the promises of God and to escape the punishments of God, we must love, we must forgive, we must deal with sin when it, when it presents itself in our lives. And actually, at first glance, that can be very, very troubling, can't it? Because I know I fall short every time in all of those things. There are times when I don't forgive. There are times when I'm not loving. There are times when I've, there are plenty of prisoners I've not, I've not visited, of people I've not fed. I fall short. And so it's very troubling. Because the gospel that we, many of us have received is this. Accept Jesus into your heart. Accept Jesus into your heart and his forgiveness. And enter into his joy and his love. And there's kind of sometimes a bit of an undertone of you don't have to do anything. And we get that message from Paul, really, that, that gospel, that three-point gospel, you must do this, you must just accept Jesus to be saved. We, we get that from Paul who says, it is, it is not by works, but by faith that we enter in. Right? That's what, that's what Paul is saying. So I believe that gospel, by the way, I believe the gospel that says, if you just believe in Jesus, if you take hold of him, you will receive his promises. You will receive um, the kingdom of heaven. But it's doubly troubling, like I say, when we hear James talk this way, because he seems to be saying, and he's even using Paul's own language, right? He's, he's pointing to Abraham. Uh, Paul also points to Abraham. Paul says, Abraham was justified. Justified, literally, that word just means made right by, with God. Um, he would, Abraham was made right with God because of his faith and not his works. And James, he's pointing at the same example and he's saying, 
Uh, Abraham was made right by works and not by faith alone. So what's going on here? Are they, are they disagreeing? It's, and it can be challenging for us to hear that, can't it? What, what do you do with that? It sounds like the Bible's disagreeing with itself. It sounds like these two guys are disagreeing with one another. Well, firstly I'd say that they, they do not disagree. They do not disagree. Although it sounds like they, they do, they don't. And I don't think we have to do anything particularly clever to escape this difficulty. But I do think that, that we need to think about it. I think the first thing to, to consider is, well, actually, if we believe the Bible is God-breathed, and we do, we believe the Bible is the Word of God, it is the infallible Word of God, it is all from Him, and it is all true. If we believe that, then we can't believe that they disagree with one another. Right? And that's, it doesn't settle the, the, kind of the intellectual dis- of what, what is actually going on, but, but it, it comforts our heart to know that these guys don't disagree. But actually, we know historically as well that these guys don't disagree. Because we, we see the story played out in Galatians of Paul, who's been preaching the gospel, preaching the good news of Jesus to the, to the nations. He's been going to, uh, into Turkey and, and preaching there. He kind of, he kind of feels like, oh, I, I want to go to Jerusalem just to check that what I'm preaching is legitimate. I want, to, I want to check it against those guys who are with Jesus to see if what I'm preaching is the correct gospel. So he goes... He goes down to uh, Jerusalem and he meets with Peter and James and John. So James, who's writing this letter, he's there. And he says, is this, is this right? Is this, this gospel that I've been preaching, is this the correct gospel? And they weigh it up and they, they say, yes, absolutely. This is the legitimate, they, they authenticate it, they give it the seal of approval. Boom, true, accepted. And they extend to him, he says, the right hand of fellowship. So we know that these guys were aware of what each other were preaching. We know that they agreed with one another. We know that they, they, they knew what was going on. And so what is going on here? Well, we, we don't know exactly, but, but, it, but I, I'd say that uh, what is probably happening here is we know that in the church, people got hold of the teachings and the scriptures and twisted them to make them mean other things. We see false teachers come in and and make uh, Paul's writings mean something else. And so that's probably what's happened. And so we don't know which way round, but, but probably either James, someone's got hold of James and has made James mean you've got to do all these things to get it to heaven, which is a common misconception. Or people have got hold of Paul and said, you, what, once you've accepted Jesus, you can just carry on sinning and it's just happy-go-lucky, you can do what you like, you, you've got your free pass to heaven. Both of those things are wrong, and both of those need correcting. And I think that whoever's writing afterwards is, is correcting that. saying, no, it's, it's not that, and it's not that, but it's, it's this. And so let's, let's look at what this is. What, what is this? I think James, what James is getting at here is he wants to look at what faith isn't. Right? Faith is not just a mental, as we've seen again and again through this, this series that we've been in over the last six weeks, Faith is not just a tick the box, yes, I, I believe this. It's not, it's not just an intellectual thing. It's a, um, you know, it's, it's so much more than that, says James. I mean, James is able to say that even the demons believe what you believe. You believe that God is one? Well done, slow clap. No. He says even the demons believe that. You don't get any points for believing correctly, for having good theology. The demons have better theology than you. I've had the privilege of uh, speaking at a number of Christian unions over the years. And um, actually what they do when, you, when you're invited to speak at a Christian union at a university, what they do is they, they give you this uh, statement of faith. Um, 
and basically just outlines very briefly, these are the things that we, we believe are essential to being a Christian. So we believe that Jesus is the Son of God, we believe that Jesus is part of the Trinity, we believe the Bible is the Word of God, and so on and so forth, right? And it is useful to have something like that in place because there are all sorts of weird things out there that would call themselves Christianity. Weird, weird things. And, uh, and so, you know, I, you, you sign it before you're allowed to, to come in and speak, and that's good, and it's right that that's in place, but hey, even Satan himself could sign that. Satan himself could sign those statements of faith and say, yeah, I believe all of those things. I believe those things. And so faith has to be more than just ticking that box and saying, yes, I believe that. Faith has to be more than that. Faith that saves, says James, is more than just, I, I agree with that statement. It's, not, it's more than just acknowledging gospel truth. To believe, says James, is to act on what you believe. That's what belief is. That's what faith is. It's interesting that in uh, Proverbs, um, which James, uh, through his letter, kind of points to again and again, and kind of has echoes of throughout, he, throughout Proverbs, that book, the book of the Old Testament, just wisdom, uh, teaching wisdom, literature, kind of that sort of thing, you've got these two recurring characters. You've got the wise man and the foolish man. And it's interesting that the wise man, the phrase that comes is, the wise man does this, and the foolish man does this. And so the wisdom of the wise man is shown in what he does, not in what he knows. It's not an intellectual thing. It's what he does. And the foolishness of the foolish man is shown in what he does. Right? It's not just, it's not just a mental thing. It's the same with, with Jesus as he ends the Sermon on the Mount. He gives that parable, doesn't he? The wise and foolish builders, the wise man... If you, those of you who, who hear my words and act on them, you're like a wise man who builds your house on stone. But the, those who hear, hear it, you might memorise it word for word. <laughs> and you might, you might commit it to memory. You might be able to quote it backwards and forwards. But if you do nothing with it, you're like a fool who goes and builds his house on sand and his life is washed away when the storm comes. If you believe something, if you're wise, you act. And that's what James wants us to see as he points to Abraham. No, Abraham's faith was shown, was completed, was fulfilled as he acted in it. Right? Abraham's faith, and we've seen it again and again over these last few weeks, the, the faith of these people was shown, was completed, was fulfilled as they acted, as they did things, as they believed and they were moved in faith to act. And it applies to sin as well, actually. That same thing goes the other way. You know, if you, if you sin, it's not just because you've done something wrong. It's because you've believed wrongly. You've, you've, in your heart, you've believed something that was wrong. So Satan comes to tempt you, and he says, this is what you want. This is better than what God's offering this is, this is the, where happiness is going to be really found. Just go onto that website. Just, just, just spend your money this way. Just, just go and do that. And he says, and he entices us. And he tries to do it that way. And if you, and if you sin in that moment, you've believed him. Right? That's what, that's what, that's what the root of sin is. Is, is. is not believing God. But, but to believe God, to believe God is to walk in his ways. Just... So our great weapon against the lies of the enemy, we're told, is, is the word of God. That's why the Bible tells us again and again, 
meditate on it day and night. Enjoy it. Don't just learn it. There's loads of people who learn it. Lots of people can quote the Bible. Lots of people who quote the Bible, you know, live in sin. There are some whole schools of theology, right, that, that are full of sin. Because they, they can quote it, but they don't meditate on it. They don't take it into heart. They don't believe it in the way that God is calling us to believe it. So we need to delight in the word of God. Interestingly, James will go on to say, he kind of apply the same thing to leadership and to teaching. He says that you know, not many of you should presume to be teachers. Not many of you should get up and teach. Because actually, if you're going to teach, you're going to be judged according to what you teach. There is a, there is a, a, so there's a guarding of that role of teaching. Because when you stand up and teach, your life better line up with what you teach. Right? If you don't, if you don't uh, live in it, then you don't actually believe it, says James. If you don't live in these things, you don't believe those things. And so you can't teach these things because you don't know them. Right? That's, that's, what, that's James's reasoning. This is why if your character's not in order, you shouldn't get up to preach. Or you shouldn't teach in other settings because you don't know these things. You don't know these things. And so you can't teach these things. Now, of course... It's a, it's, a, it's a work in progress. We're all works in progress. We are all slowly and slowly, and the verse that I love to point to is that one in 2 Corinthians 3, that we now with unveiled face beholding the glory of God are being transformed from one degree of glory to another. As we see God more and more, as our eyes are opened to his wonderful truth, our faith will be awakened in us and our lives will begin to imitate that. Again and again we grow, and sometimes that happens quickly, sometimes it happens piece by piece it feels a lot slower than we would like but it's always happening so if you believe God that is happening in you you are being transformed but then if faith saving faith is acted out in good works then what does that mean for that first moment you know I make an altar call and I say right if you want to believe in God come to the front I'm going to pray for you and you give your you pray that sinner's prayer I I I, I accept you into my heart, Jesus. What, does that mean that that is of no value? No. No, absolutely not. No, the, the, when you pray that prayer and you pray it in faith, God holds it uh, as, as genuine. Okay? A good example of this is marriage. Um, I was uh, washing uh, some, some dishes this morning and so I left my wedding ring on the side and then had to bring it back bring it to me <laughs> this morning. Uh, but, the, but I think marriage is just such a, a, a wonderful example of this, right? So, so this year, Jen and I are going to be celebrating our fifth wedding anniversary. Um, and there was a day when I wasn't married. I wasn't married. I was Josh, I was single. And then the, the next day, 22nd April, almost five years ago, I said, I do, I will, and I was married. Legally and spiritually, something amazing happened on that day. And I became a husband. Right? Now, I'm not more married today than I was five years ago. I'm not. Like, on that day, I was married. Today, I am married. But the, the truthfulness of those vows that I made has been completed, have been shown, have been demonstrated, have been fulfilled over those five years and, can, and will continue to be demonstrated to be true until death parts us right that's the, 
That is, that is the, the picture of marriage. Now, if a marriage fails, if a marriage fails, it demonstrates that those vows were not true. If someone says, death, only death will part us, and then something else does, it shows that that statement was never true. Do you see, do you see what I'm saying? I mean, the, the, the life of faith, that prayer that says, God, I want to follow you, I want to belong to you, um, in a, a few weeks' time, we're going to be baptizing Julie, and she's in that moment, and that's what she's declaring. She's saying, I belong to you. you know, that moment is going to be played out for the rest of her life. That moment of faith then is going to be the same faith that's going to carry her through life as she does good works and amazing things we believe God is going to do with you. As I say, if, if a marriage fails, those, it's because those vows were never true. And so praying, the believer's prayer doesn't save you. It doesn't. Faith saves you. The faith that moves you to pray in that way. The faith that says, Lord, I want to belong to you. That faith saves you. But that faith will also lead you to act. That faith will also lead you to walk in his ways. So James, that's what James is getting at. James says, if, if, if you aren't living in that if he's not your Lord, he's not your saviour. Don't think that he will save you if you don't believe him. Believe in him. But it's all God's work, as I say. It's all God's work. The whole gospel. Right? The whole gospel. We need to, sometimes we've, we've heard only a part gospel. And the whole gospel is that, that the, the power of God that says, be raised from the dead, that we receive in that moment, also says, live. That's what Paul says to the Galatians, isn't it? He says, um, uh, if you've been born by the Spirit, live by the Spirit. That same supernatural power that awoken faith in you, that opened your eyes to the things of God, that same supernatural power is at work in you to say no to the enemy when he comes to, and to accept the free uh, life that Jesus offers. Right? That, is, that is what faith is. Supernatural empowerment to do those things. You are just, just as it was supernatural that you, you said in that moment, I believe you, it is supernatural also that you can say in this moment, I'm going to follow your ways. I'm going to live the way that God calls me to live. And so we're not, sometimes the, the gospel is kind of presented as being, I'm just, it just rescued me from hell. The gospel is so much more than that. It does that, thank God. <laughs> but the gospel also does so much more. It says, not only are you rescued from the... Um, that final uh, consequence of sin. But you are also rescued from his reign in your life. It doesn't reign over you anymore. If you believe in Jesus, you are free from it reigning over you. You are free to say no more. There are, there are Christians, I tell you, there are Christians who have, who have received in faith the gift of God, the salvation, but who still act as though they were slaves to sin. They go back to their old master and say, what would you like me to do? Now, when, when you become a Christian, you are set free. You are free from him. He has no control over you. He has no power over you. He doesn't reign over your life anymore. You are totally free to deny him any rights to your life because you belong to Jesus. You belong to Jesus. He doesn't rule over you anymore. Jesus does. It's all God's doing, as I say. Uh, Paul in, in Philippians 2 
talks to us. He says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Right, that's, that's what James is saying. Do good works. Act in accordance with your faith. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Why? Because it's God who's at work in you. It's God who's at work in you. Right, you can't work out your salvation. You can't. Let's get that straight. You, you cannot earn your place with God. But God is at work in you. So it's not just a 50, it's not 50-50 split. It's not, I, I've done my bit, now it's, your, now it's time for you to do your bit. No, God says, I've done my bit and I'm going to continue doing my bit in you <laughs> to bring about those good works. Right, Ephesians says we, we're his craftsmanship. We are his craftsmanship in order to do the good works that he has set up for us to do. So he sets up the good works and says, I'm going to craft you into someone amazing who's going to be able to do these things. Right? So we can have total confidence in him. But there is a challenge that comes to us from James, which says, look, if you're a Christian and you think that I can, I can believe in Jesus and it doesn't have any effect on uh, what I think or feel or believe about sex or where I spend my money or what I do with my life, hey, James says, check that that it really is faith. Because... There are lots of things that can masquerade as faith. Right? You might enjoy church. You might enjoy worship. You might even enjoy the Jesus stories. Without being saved. Faith takes hold of him. That free gift, that wonderful free gift. And lives in it. And enjoys it. And, is al- and allows Jesus come, be my saviour, be my lord, transform my life. Have your way. So we've got to fight for that kind of faith. And it is all the power of God works for us when we do. All the power of God is at work in us and for us when we do. So I say we want to celebrate the truth that God has won something amazing for us. But we also want to receive that challenge that James lays out here. Hey, if you, if you say, I believe you, Jesus... But then do nothing with that faith. It's like saying to somebody who comes to you hungry, go, be fed, be well. You clearly don't care for that person. If that's all you're going to do for them, you don't love them. James is saying, hey, if, you, if all you're doing is giving lip service to faith, saying, I believe you, Jesus, but it doesn't, it doesn't come out in your life, it doesn't demand anything of you, then that's not faith. That is not faith. And James says, do you think that that will save you? I'm just going to pray, and then we're going to go back into, into worship. I think there is, there is something there for us to receive, just, I think, the whole gospel. I think there will be some of us here who, who are struggling with things, struggling with sin, struggling with maybe some challenges, some temptations in life. And, you know, the message to you is, you have been set free. You have been set free from those things. It doesn't reign over you anymore. Those things, they do not reign over you. There are others maybe hearing this who, who are ready to check their heart. Have I, have, I, have I believed? Have I believed God? Or have I just been paying lip service? Lord, I pray right now. Would you come and would you meet with us? Would you stir in us this kind of faith? The faith that we've been hearing about over the last six weeks. The faith that moves us into uh, fearlessness. The faith that moves us into action. The faith that moves us into um, 
to, to doing the things that you've called us to, the faith that, that, that is able to stand firm in the faith of, face of trial. Lord, that faith, I pray that you'll give us that fresh ways, new ways this morning. And Lord, I, God, I pray that there would be no one here whose faith is dead, whose faith is just lip service. God, forgive us when that's become true, maybe. I pray right now, would you awaken true, living, spirit-filled faith in us. I ask this in your name. Amen. Amen.